Mike Seibert Radio is an independently produced podcast. The views and opinions expressed are those of the host and the guests only and do not necessarily reflect those of any other broadcasting entities that either have been, am now, or will be affiliated with. Welcome back to Mike Seibert Radio. I am your host, and I am probably the only one that has not seen The Last Jedi yet, but that's okay. I'm going to go see it tomorrow. Um, Tomorrow being the day after you listen to this podcast, that is. That was stupid. Um, This is the podcast radio show where I talk about stuff and things that are on my mind every week. If you want to get a hold of me, I am at Mike Seibert Radio on Twitter and Instagram, or you can write into that mailbag, MikeSeibertRadio at gmail.com. Got an exciting show for you, including the brand new holiday single from nerd rock band Kirby Crackle to get you in the holiday spirit, as well as some geek culture news that's been stacking up on my desk. All of that and more. On this week's all new episode of Mike Seibert Radio. But first, let's kick things off with some shout outs. First of all, I want to thank everyone that came out to the Salvation Army Toy Drive last Friday. Uh, We collected a whole lot of toys and cash donations as well, uh, breaking records for previous years, and hopefully that will help some kids in our community that would have gone without and have a good Christmas. Um, So uh, uh, thank you. Thank you so much for that. Um, You can still donate new unwrapped toys at your local Fred Meyer stores here in the Pacific Northwest, um, or you can donate to the Salvation Army directly at SalvationArmyUSA.org because every kid deserves to have something under the tree at Christmas time. And uh, and and with that, uh, last week I asked uh, what your favorite toy was that you got as a gift on Christmas and uh, Killing Spree tweeted at me, best Christmas gift I got? The Jurassic Park Command Compound. Check this out. This is pretty cool. It's the Jurassic Park Command Compound, with an electronic computer that says over a hundred commands. Help! We need more firepower! The computer helps you control Jurassic Park. Got him! T-Rex! Jurassic Park Electronic Talking Command Compound figures and dinosaurs sold separately. Batteries not included. That is pretty rad. And I was uh, uh, looking a little more into it because I don't think I had actually seen the Jurassic Park Command compound before. It was a uh, it was a little bit past my time, and it's um it is pretty big. It's uh it's it's as big as it looks. Um. So yeah, that that is that is pretty rad. And yeah, you know the the coolest toys that I got as gifts growing up. Um. You know, like uh um around my birthday would be when. I would get, you know, like a, a, a lot of figures and small vehicles. Like um, uh, it was, you know, G.I. Joe, uh, you know, the real American hero, uh, G.I. Joe, um, you know, and, and, 
and smaller vehicles, a bunch of Transformers, and of course, um, uh, uh, Star Wars uh, things, which were still very much a thing uh, when I was a kid. Um, the uh, the original Kenner line, of course, and but around uh, Christmas time would always be when uh, when you would get the big stuff, right? That's that's when you would get uh, the the bases, the headquarters, the giant vehicles, all of that stuff. Like I I, I remember one year I got the uh, the Cobra Terror Drome, which was basically the the uh, uh, Cobra headquarters, and this this thing was just massive. Um, and other times, like uh, I I remember I. I got the uh, Defiant Space Station, uh, which not only had a space shuttle, but it also had like a mobile rocket launcher thing that that went with it as well, um, as well as like like the GI Joe uh, headquarters and Mole Command Center, and uh, no, just just a lot of really cool big uh, headquarters things. But the thing was, is um, my uh my uh my aunt and my grandmother were shrewd garage sailors they and they would basically go around throughout the year and amass this this uh treasure trove of toys so like i would um you know they they would get like the terror drome that they found at a garage sale in like february and they would hide it in like this this massive garage that they had at their place and um I, I remember uh, being a, a, a mischievous older kid. I, I had to have been like, I think this was when I was like 10, 11 years old, was kind of at the height of my sneakiness. And I um, I would go into the garage, which really almost, this garage almost reminded me of like the uh, uh, end of Raiders of the Lost Ark, where it's just like, I mean, there were no cars parked there. It was all boxes from previous moves and and, you know, it's like I, I would open up random boxes and I would find like all like these weird knickknacks that my aunt had from uh, a previous job stuff she had packed up from her desk. I found like a like a giant treasure trove of cassette tapes and um, things like that. So so I would always like when I was by myself at their house, I would sneak into this garage and and just go just go uh, uh, grave digging basically and, and treasure hunting because I mean, all this stuff was just so cool um but inevitably i would stumble across these uh uh christmas presents and i remember like they had uh this pterodrome and again this had to have been about i don't know maybe a, a foot and a half high and i would say two to three feet in circumference it, it was a big circle and they put it on top of a, a freezer and threw a sheet over it and i just i remember that day i peeled up the sheet and i could see what looked like the base of it and i pulled it over and there it was i spoiled so many christmases that way um but i was still i was still just blown away and delighted because what would happen would it 
would be kind of like a look but don't touch type of thing. Um, I I was always again I I was a sneaky little shit uh, uh, back in the day when I was when I was that age. And like you know like I, if I disturbed something, I kind of made sure and put it back the way I found it. And yeah, it was uh, it was it was uh, um, uh, something I kind of prided myself on. Which now looking back is is uh, uh, kind of uncomfortable if I think about it for too terribly long. Uh, but yeah, the the thing was is like again they they didn't buy me these things brand new because i i don't remember what the Terrodrome retailed for but i'd probably say at least 100 bucks you know in like 1985 1986 money and that's that's not nothing so um so you know i i had a lot of really cool toys uh growing up you know all of the gi joes all the transformers all the uh you know star wars all of that stuff but um, for the most part, the vast majority um, of them came secondhand. They came from uh, garage sales and thrift shops and and things like that. And um, and I always thought that was really cool in that, like, you know, they'd get me like a uh, they they would throw like um, a dozen Joes in a shoebox and then wrap that up. Um, which which I thought was always cool because you know like no the weapons ever matched uh, um, and things like that but uh, that was neat but the thing that I will always point to as the um, as the coolest present I got a, the coolest toy I got for Christmas was you know I've uh, um, you know made many allusions to the fact that I'm a huge Transformers fan and in 1987 I was uh, I was nine years old um, so I'm totally dating myself now um, but I got under the Christmas tree Fortress Maximus which is for 25 years was the biggest transformer ever he uh, stood uh, about two feet tall. I remember um, when I first got him. Um, I, I I had a baby cousin who was you know was was a toddler, and I kept joking with my friends that this transformer was bigger than my baby cousin. And I don't think that was ever actually the case, but it, but it seemed cool. Um, and like you know, I remember I had to you know kind of use both hands to heft him because he was so freaking heavy. I mean, the thing was like solid plastic. Like they um, uh, in recent times they made. Made a version of Metroplex, the other uh, Transformers base, and he ended up being taller than what Fortress Maximus was. This was back in like 2011 or something like that. But he, but he was hollow. So I remember picking one up in the store. I'm like, what the hell is this? This is weak sauce. And it was kind of a big deal with Fortress Maximus because they couldn't reissue him or remake him um, because. He was too darn heavy. Wouldn't uh, pass uh, child safety standards for uh, for drop tests. My point being, where I'm going with that is that it was a complete surprise. Um, and what it was is that they had bought him brand new, uh, bought him, hit him, wrapped him, put him under the tree, um, and I, I I was totally surprised. And uh, because I, I wasn't even expecting it because I knew that it was such a big ticket item. Now, granted, that same year, a lot of friends that I uh, knew that that's when they got their Nintendo. 
if they hadn't already. I um, uh, personally didn't get an NES until uh, much later on, but that's a different story for a different time. But but that was the thing that always stuck with me is that um, just seeing what the box was and not knowing what it was, I'm like, could that be... No, come on. And and yeah, sure enough, I opened it up and I even had to tear into the box and pull it out. And it was like this giant hunk of styrofoam. I had to pull it out, pull the flip the face over just to see that it was in fact what it was. And to this day, I still remember that being one of the uh, uh best toys that I got for Christmas. Now, um to to kind of um uh, wrap up since since I talked about my um uh early days as a uh a thieving criminal sneaky mastermind I want to tell you how my uh, Christmas sneaking career came to an end um I was uh, I, oh I want to say I was like I think I was 14 um and it was the same deal you know like um it, it was the same house. My aunt was living in in the same house with uh, with my grandmother. But instead of uh, putting stuff in the garage, um, they had started to hide things elsewhere. And I remember, um, I while while my aunt was gone, um, my uh, my parents and I were living uh, downstairs at the time. I remember in the middle of the night creeping up the stairs going all the way into uh my aunt's bedroom again uh you know she was uh she was gone and going through her closet you know looking for stuff and i found all kinds of stuff um stuff for my uh my cousins which who were um you know older at that point so like there was a, like a lot of ninja turtle toys and things like that it's, and and it was really kind of interesting because I, it was at the point where I'm wondering, I'm like, is that stuff for me? I don't know. It was, it was, uh, it was kind of tough to tell. But I looted around a little bit, found the Toys R Us bags, and after a while, I found what would have been uh, the holy grail of Christmas for that year: Sega Genesis. I see it, I grab it, I'm looking at it, and I'm like, holy crap! You know, this is totally for me because, like, um, I I found uh, Mortal Kombat in there as well. So I I, I mean, I, there there was no doubt that this was uh, uh, for me. And I throw the box on the bed. And I'm just I'm just looking at it, and I look up, and standing in the door, my dad. What are you doing? And and of course, what do you do at that point? I mean, I mean, th- this is like be beyond getting caught red-handed. I I don't know what uh, more red-handed would be, but whatever that was, that's what was happening. And and it was kind of funny because this this became quite the kerfuffle at uh at the Mike Cyber Radio compound. And uh, long story short. I did not get that Sega Genesis that uh, that Christmas or at all. It all got taken back to the store. And you know what? To this day, I mean, because I, I remember being really upset about it. But even in the back of my mind, I was kind of OK with that. It's like, you know what? I I had a good run with this sneaking around stuff. And, 
you know, one one of the cool things about Christmas that you don't you know, really have the perspective of when 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 you're a kid. And me, I was I was just enamored with the thrill of the hunt. But I, I think I kinda lost perspective and forgot about that that thrill of surprise that I got when I unwrapped Fortress Maximus. I mean, to this day, I still think about that, and I kind of get chills a little bit. And, you know, to, to bring it back around to that, you know, Fortress Maximus is so big that I still have him. Um, because really, quite frankly, he's so big that I don't know what to do with him. He's sitting on uh, one of my bookcases at home. Um and so, yeah, anyway, <laughs> that, that was a really long way to go that uh, um, that I was not anticipating going. But anyway, that, that's that's just a little story about some of the um, uh, my point is that um, toys are really important at Christmas, I think, whether they're big, small or whatever. Um, so, hey, you know, if, if you want to let me know um, what some of your uh, Christmas stories are, we heard from uh, Killing Spree. He shared with us uh, about the uh, uh, the Jurassic Park Command compound. You know, I want to hear from my my Joe fans. You know, did, did anybody get the, the USS flag, you know, the giant aircraft carrier? Because uh, I didn't. Not only did I never get that, but I didn't know anybody that actually did but um y- you know how i said i was a, a sneaky little shit when i was young and that a lot of my toys came from garage sales well um i i also remember this time in uh elementary school that i tried to pass off to uh the kids on the playground that i had the uss flag and of course you know nobody believed me but what I had from, you know, like I'm talking about these big lots of loose Joe figures I would get, I had the figure that came with the playset. Um, it was, you know, it was like, uh, oh God, what was he? He was like an admiral, something, uh, Keel Hall, I think his name was. Uh, but he was a, he was an admiral figure and that figure came exclusively with the aircraft carrier. So I don't know what the story is of how that figure got separated, but I know that I ended up with, with him, um, uh, again, from one of those garage sale adventures and yeah, brought it to school, brought the figure and they still didn't believe me. Um, so rightfully so. But but yeah, I. Uh, oh, it's so funny just talking to you now. I, I do realize that yeah, as, as a kid, I was I was slippery, and yeah, I mean I I would always exaggerate about like the things that I had, the things that I got. It's like oh yeah yeah, I have the Terrordrome. I'm talking about this like a a year or two before I actually had it, like when it first came out. I was always that weird kid and. And I, I, I don't know why. I guess if I were to um, uh, think about it for more than a couple minutes, I would guess that it would have something to do with trying to fit in, trying to be cool, you know, uh, you know, just maybe try to like increase my social status a little bit. And and of course, it had the opposite effect because like I, I was the kid that that like, you know, would lie and that, you know, that you couldn't quite believe and um, 
And that made things kind of kind of tricky for me uh, growing up. Um, but anyway, yeah. So so if you want to if you want to share with me your your uh, uh, sneaking around stories, or again talk about the uh, uh, cool toys that you got, or alternatively cool gifts that you gave. Like I've um, uh, one of the things that I've enjoyed as I've gotten older as being um, an uncle is giving gifts. I. Uh, you know, I, I always try to find like, you know, cool Transformers or, you know, G.I. Joe, Star Wars, you know, kind of the stuff I grew up with, just kind of modernized. And, and I love giving that stuff and, you know, kind of seeing the charge of like, oh, this is something that Uncle Mike is cool with. You know, I, I watch them doofy Michael Bay Transformer movies, which you totally shouldn't at like nine or ten, but I digress. Uh, but no, it's 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 always something that I uh I always thought was uh, kind of special and pretty cool. And in keeping with the holiday spirit, let's uh um let's uh, let's do some music. Now, uh coming up is the brand new holiday single from uh, nerd rock band Kirby Crackle from right here in the Pacific Northwest. And um I I I look forward to this time of year every year because uh for the past several years, uh Kirby Crackle has put out a new um holiday themed uh, track uh, that that's available on their website kirbycracklemusic.com uh, but the songs range anywhere from like parodies to uh, completely original songs to just kind of uh, uh, cover versions of holiday classics like last year uh, uh, they did a uh, a a cover slash parody of uh, Genuine's Pony called a song called Reindeer. Uh, But then like, you know, they've also done uh, Whole Foods Santa or I'm Stuck in a Human Centipede for Christmas. But um, even even now, I think my uh, my favorite of the Kirby Crackle holiday singles is uh, Baby It's Cold Outside, uh, the uh, the Hoth version uh, featuring the double clicks. And it's it is what it is. It's 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 uh, Baby It's Cold Outside, but it's uh, Han Solo and Princess Leia. Um, you know, it's, so it's the same song, just with uh, the lyrics completely uh, rewritten and, and reinterpreted uh, for Hoth and Christmas time. And, and I always like that one. But um, but what I'm but what I'm going to share with you now is um, is a little different, and it's very timely. And and in keeping with the political times that we're in. It's it's not Miller time. No, it's not Mueller time. Mueller time is here. Uh, this is the Kirby Crackle 2017 holiday single. Uh, Kyle Stevens, the frontman from Kirby Crackle, writes, My only Christmas wish. It may not come today. It may not come tomorrow. But I believe. Mueller time is here. And you're listening to Mike Seibert Radio. Trees in everywhere 
Crackle will be headlining Crackle Fest 8. That's going to be on Friday, March 2nd, 2018. Emerald City Comic Con and nerd rock artist Kirby Crackle are proud to present Crackle Fest 8, a night of nerd rock and comedy taking place at Hard Rock Seattle on Friday, March 2nd, only a few blocks away from Emerald City Comic Con, the premier comic and pop culture convention in the Pacific Northwest. Now in its eighth year, Crackle Fest has served as the annual nerd rock concert and showcase during ECCC since 2010, with this year's bill featuring the talents of Lucia Fasano, nerdcore rapper Mega Ran, and of course, nerd rock pioneers Kirby Crackle to close out the night. Crackle Fest 8 this year also features local stand-up comedy talents for this 21 and over show. 
Join us for the celebration of music and comedy with exclusive Crackle Fest 8 merch, themed specialty drinks, and get nerd rocked. While you're at it, please visit KirbyCrackleMusic.com to learn more about what nerd rock is all about. Tickets are $13 in advance, $15 day of the show. And, and I've been to uh, uh, Crackle Fest several times as a fan, and I've participated as a radio personality uh, in the past, and I'm really excited for uh, this year's show. And in fact, um, I've just recently confirmed that early in the new year, uh, sometime in early January, Kyle Stevens, the uh, mastermind behind Kirby Crackle, um, and no, his his name is not Kirby, by the way, um, uh Kyle will be joining me to talk more about uh, what to expect at Crackle Fest 8, some of the stuff he's been up to as an independent artist, and maybe give us the lowdown about some of the things that Emerald City Comic Con will be doing uh, for the local nerd music scene, uh, because there's... there. Nerd music is going to be huge at Emerald City Comic Con this year in a big, bad way. And I think Kyle's going to be heavily involved in that as well. So I'm really anxious to hear um, uh, what he's got to share with us about that. So um, as uh, as dates get a little more solidified, uh, you will be the first to know. But I'm uh, I'm really excited to uh, uh, chat with Kyle again about Crackle Fest 8. All right, so let's get to some geek culture news. So obviously, you know, one of the biggest stories still in uh, nerd culture is, of course, Disney acquisition of 21st Century Fox for $52.4 billion. Now, I don't know about you, like when this uh, this news first broke, um, I, I was kind of I, I really honestly thought the news outlets were getting it wrong because they kept referring to 21st Century Fox. And I'm like. I think it's 20th Century Fox. I mean, I I know it's 2017 and we're in a new century, but I think it's still 20th Century Fox. So so I did kind of some surface level research to kind of ease my confusion. And in this deal, Disney will acquire the 20th Century Fox film and TV studios and related assets. They'll also get the cable networks like FX and some of the uh, Fox Sports regional networks. Um, They're also going to get um, an Indian satellite TV company, um, the National Geographic uh, um, uh, partners and TV stuff, uh, Hulu, which is going to be huge to, I think, what they want to do in online streaming. Um, They're also getting a UK-based satellite TV group, um, all of that for $52.4 billion. Now, um, on, on the other side, uh, Fox is going to spin off its news and broadcast businesses, so they're going to keep Fox News, Fox Business, uh, Fox Sports 1, Fox Sports 2, Fox Deportes, uh, the Big Ten Network, and uh, and the broadcast business. Um, those are not included in the Disney deal, and apparently Rupert Murdoch is going to do something with those. I don't know if those are going to operate as independent entities or what, but yeah, so it, it's kind of interesting. So... Uh, Disney, in a sense, gets all the good stuff. You know, they get all the the licenses. Um, you know, we've talked a lot about the the Marvel characters and things like that. But they don't get the news and a lot of the sports. But they get Hulu. So, um, 
but yeah, so basically it's um, 21st Century Fox was the uh, larger umbrella parent company and uh, 20th Century Fox was a uh, subsidiary of that, um, uh, both the uh, film and TV studios. Um, so just to, just to give you a little background on that. But like I like I just mentioned a, a, a bit ago, we we're talking about the Marvel characters. So I was uh, I, I was looking around on Rotten Tomatoes. Uh, more on that in just a little bit. But I stumbled across an article that that kind of uh, I don't know if they put this out to their their uh, audience or whatever. But it's it's a it's a ranked listing of possibilities for future projects involving the Marvel characters. And I thought I would kind of kind of go over this with you real quick just to uh, just for funsies so and and of course at the top of the list is avengers versus x-men which you know and i think i talked about this on last week's show i i think the best move prior uh after uh whatever the fourth avengers movie is they wipe the slate completely clean uh recast reboot everybody and maybe that starts with Avengers versus X-Men. I don't know, because um, as cool as that sounds, and there's definitely precedent, because the the uh, in the comics, the Avengers and the X-Men are, you know, at odds with each other almost as often as they team up together. Um, so, um, you know, I, I, I can live with that, but... I, I think it would be something that, like, if you do it right, it could be cool. Um, a lot of it kind of depends upon what this Infinity War ends up being and really what happens on the X-Men side with uh, with a, a Dark Phoenix coming out next year. So, um, yeah, who knows? Uh, number two on the list was a good Fantastic Four movie. Um, now, the thing with... I, I think I've talked about this uh, before, but I feel like Disney has already made a good Fantastic Four. Um, it was called The Incredibles. And so, I, I don't know. I, I think if the, the way to crack the code with the Fantastic Four is to do it as a period piece. I think if you do those characters set in the 60s like you know connected to the mcu maybe there were you know uh, uh the fantastic four in the 60s and then it jumps to the 80s and you're like in the flashback ant-man times uh or you know maybe it ties into the 90s flashback that uh, apparently this captain marvel movie is going to be i'm cool with that um uh or you take the Fantastic Four and instead of having them be in their own movie, you make them supporting characters in the larger uh, uh, Marvel Cinematic Universe because we've seen three times now that on screen as a concept, the Fantastic Four just does not work. And I don't. I don't know if that's specifically Fox's problem. I mean, granted, all three of those movies were pretty wretched. Um, not that I ever bothered with uh, the last one, uh, Fan Fanfortic. No thanks. Um, but I mean, I, I've always had a little bit of a spot for the Fantastic Four characters. But I, I don't know. I, I think that the nature of their characters 
is such that it lends itself to a um, a period piece, a more simpler time. I mean, these are characters of the 60s, and I think they kind of belong in the 60s. And to loop it back around, I think that's what made uh, The Incredibles so awesome, is that it made them... Um, obviously contemporary later, but like, I mean, like that whole first act is them in the sixties. And, and I thought that was, that was really, really cool. So I don't know. Uh, that's another we'll wait and see. Um, uh, third on the list, Deadpool and Spider-Man team up. Uh, there's actually a, a really good comic on the stands now called, uh, appropriately enough, uh, Spider-Man and Deadpool. And it's, it's, you know, if you can have both characters be who they are, I think that would be great, but I don't think that R-rated Ryan Reynolds running around with PG-13 Tom Holland, I don't think, uh, I don't, I don't see Disney making that movie, but I think it would be great. Um, I, I just don't know how you can, uh, keep the tone that you've established with Deadpool and mix it with the Marvel Universe, but if you keep him by himself and keep him R-rated like they've already committed to doing, that's, that's okay. Um... Hugh Jackman possibly returning as Wolverine. Now, um, Logan gave us something that we had never seen in a comic book movie franchise before. Um, an ending. And a pretty damn satisfying one. Um, but I, I do remember, I, I, I don't have uh, the article in front of me, but I, I uh, recall that Hugh Jackman kind of coyly said, well, you know, if we ever cross over with the Avengers, I, uh, I'd be cool with throwing on the claws again. So I, I think that's kind of what this is. But you know what? I, I think if Hugh Jackman shows up as Wolverine in a contemporary setting, I think that cheapens Logan. And the um the ending of Logan was so strong and poignant that I really would not prefer that be messed with. On the other hand, you know, if you want to do flashbacks or something like that, I'm cool with that. You know, like we got to see a little bit of uh uh the Weapon X gear, uh especially the headgear in uh X-Men Apocalypse. So, I mean, you you can do that, you know, instead of uh putting gray in his hair, you put jet black in in Hugh Jackman's hair. I I I guess I would be okay with that. Uh, moving on to, uh, and this kind of gets back to uh, the Fantastic Four a bit, but um, Galactus as he is, not upset gas. Uh, that obviously being a dig at uh, Fantastic Four colon, definitely colon, uh, a rise of the Silver Surfer where uh, the the destroyer of worlds Galactus was reduced to basically a, a, a cloud with like purple thunder in there or purple lightning in there. Um, yeah, I, I'd, I'd like to see Galactus done in that epic, ridiculous scale. Um, cause I mean, his thing is he's just a almost planet sized giant and you know, you know how I just can't shut up about that Transformers, the movie, and that has a character kind of on a Galactus sized scale. I mean, I mean, Unicron is basically Galactus. He just happens to uh, um, uh, transform from a giant robot into a giant uh, planet-eating planet. Um, so I, I, I think they could pull it off, and I think with the goodwill that the MCU has has uh, uh, built up, 
Um, I think if you see like just like his boots or something like, you know, in like New York City and Central Park, um, I th- I think with special effects, you could pull it off. He could look cool. And I don't think it would be cheesy. Um, it sounds cheesy even as I'm saying the words, but I'm, I'm just I'm just imagining it kind of like similar to how you would see the uh, Death Star in Rogue One when it was on like the Bahamas planet. You could kind of look up in the blue sky and just kind of see it like a low hanging moon. I think if you have that perspective where you see um, uh, Galactus's boots and he towers so high that his profile kind of blends in and vanishes into the upper atmosphere and you don't really see all of him i i think that'd actually be be pretty cool you can uh you could pull that off pretty easily um now this one see again i i think these rotten tomatoes users are totally uh, uh fantastic foreheads because uh this next one uh dr doom sets up shop in latveria and the mcu that is one thing in addition to galactus not being done right we we haven't seen dr doom done right and dr doom really should be the the darth vader of the marvel universe um and you know you get you get a really charismatic actor to do the voice you put him in a suit of armor that looks badass but not cheesy um and and i think that would be great um uh, another thing people are clamoring for is the Silver Surfer. I mentioned that earlier, and um, it's it. I think I think it's just um, uh, kind of accepted lore at this point. But Stan Lee himself has said on numerous occasions, and and it's a quote that's constantly. Uh, referenced that the Silver Surfer is actually his favorite character of uh, of the uh, Marvel Universe characters that um, that he had a hand in creating. I almost slipped up and said created. Uh, meanwhile, the uh, uh, the restless spirit of Jack Kirby is is twisting around in his grave. Which I think that Stan Lee routinely dances on and may or may not relieve himself on from time to time, but that's that's neither here nor there. Um, um, the one thing about that um, that second Silver Surfer movie is that Doug Jones as the Silver Surfer with Lawrence Fisher, Fishburne's voice, I think that actually kind of worked because he looked like the Silver Surfer, he moved like the Silver Surfer, he sounded like what I would imagine the Silver Surfer would sound like. Um, it, it's just unfortunate he was in a terrible movie. Okay, now this this one's a little tricky. Uh, the The Marvel shows become connected. Now, I don't know what that has to do with uh, the acquisition of the Fox assets, but whatevs. Um, you know, th- they've said, they being Kevin Feige and, and Marvel Disney, that the shows, whether they be like Marvel Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. or Inhumans, ugh, um, or even the Netflix stuff, that none of that stuff will ever tie back into the, uh, the movies, which I think is kind of a bummer, but by the same token... Those shows aren't especially great. Now, the the Netflix stuff is pretty good, except when it's not. But my point being is that it's like hit or miss, you know, and when you're putting hit or miss stuff, um, mixing in with your movies, I, I don't know. Uh, Josh Brolin as Cable versus Josh Brolin as Thanos. I think that'd be pretty cool. Um, and, and that's not the only 
uh, same actor versus same actor you could do. I mean, obviously, Chris Evans played both Captain America in the MCU as well as Johnny Storm, the Human Torch, in the uh, Fox version of the Fantastic Four. You could have those characters meet and face off. Um, you also have uh, Michael B. Jordan, who also played a Human Torch, um, and he uh, his character from uh, Black Panther is in uh, obviously in the MCU. So you could have them meet up. I, I'm sure there's a couple others i'm i'm not thinking of off the top of my head um yeah i if i'm missing something let me know and then okay all right this article is just trolling me because number 10 uh deadpool joins forces with tony stark and number 11 the last one is luke cage collects his 200 dollars from dr doom and there's a uh panel here i don't know what the issue is from but obviously it's from the 70s um, but it's a it's a, a a panel where Luke Cage is standing up to Doctor Doom, and Doctor Doom says, "When my men reported a crazy black man in the Fantastic Four's craft, I knew it had to be you." And Luke Cage says, "Where's my money, honey?" <laughs> in the next panel, Doctor Doom says, "Money? What money are you talking? You mean the money I owed you for tracking down my robots? You came all the way here for that?" A paltry $200? You are crazy. Which I think is pretty cool. You know, I get, I can, I can live with that. So anyway, um, what do you think? What, what kind of, uh, cause surely you can come up with better team up ideas than, than the, the Rotten Tomatoes audience. Cause, uh, some of these are very obvious. Some are pretty lame and I know you can do better. So let me know what you think. Tweet me at Mike Seibert radio, um, or send an email, Mike Seibert radio at gmail.com. So, and the last thing I wanted to mention on the uh, uh, Disney Fox deal uh, for now was I, I saw an article on Newsarama, uh, Senators Call for Investigation into Disney Fox Buyout. Um, Top members of the House and Senate antitrust subcommittees have called for an investigation into uh, Disney's proposed buyout of 20th Century Fox, citing anti-monopoly laws. Uh, The antitrust subcommittees have said um, another industry merger, which would have major implications in television, film and media. I'm concerned about the impact of this transaction on American consumers. Disney's proposed purchase of 21st Century Fox threatens to put control of TV, movie, and news content into the hands of a single media giant. If it's approved, this merger could allow Disney to limit what consumers can watch and increase their cable bills. Uh, Disney will gain more than 300 channels, 22 regional sports networks, control over Hulu, and a significant portion of Roku. Um... They uh, indicated that the uh, country is in a monopoly moment. Um, So, yeah. And and, you know, with uh, net neutrality rules um, uh, suddenly being thrown out the window, you know, that that Disney shaped Death Star may not be that far away. And we may all be living uh, underneath uh, Mickey Mouse's boot heel. Um, and you know we'll we'll get into more of that with uh, with Killing Spree uh, next week when we get together to talk about Star Wars. He uh, he mentioned a couple things that I hadn't even thought of. He mentioned that he was concerned about the future of the Alien and Predator uh, franchises. Well, I guess as well as the Alien versus Predator 
franchises. Ugh. Um, but also some of the home video uh, implications for uh, Star Wars, uh, which uh, we're going to be uh, talking about that um, a lot next week. Uh, but speaking of uh, something I wanted to share with you now, like I mentioned, I... I have not seen Star Wars The Last Jedi yet, and I'm probably like the last person on the face of the earth that has not yet. Um, And I've uh, um, had the opportunity to talk to a couple folks that have um, that are about my age, uh, people I work with, and uh, the consensus is, is... We're, uh, I, I was uh, chatting with a colleague uh, because I was relaying with him things I had heard from others saying that we're in expectation management mode. I think it's time for us to recalibrate our expectations for what to expect from The Last Jedi because the consensus that I've heard from the people I have talked to, um, and and I've really kind of tried to stay away from stuff online. I haven't read reviews, and social media has been relatively quiet. It's usual the I hate this, I love this type polarization, but... um, The consensus I've heard from the people that I've interacted with is that um, it's underwhelming and things that you want from it, you won't get Um, and you'll get other stuff. Um, but yeah, no, uh, in fact, um, uh, one of the folks at my work is a, is a movie critic. And one of the things he said in his review is that he, um, there were times where the movie wanted him to feel something and he didn't. And, and that was, uh, disappointing. So I don't know what that means for my expectations uh, for uh, for watching uh, The Last Jedi. I guess we'll uh, find out when I watch it tomorrow. Um, But I want to share this with you because I I, I found this very, very fascinating. And it it loops back around to uh, Rotten Tomatoes. Now, our friends that are fans of the the DC Comics Extended Universe, the DCEU, you know, they've been crying foul for um, a couple years now that, like, uh, Rotten Tomatoes is kind of like uh, in the pocket of Marvel Disney and that there's like, you know, all of these paid critics to give uh, Marvel Disney movies these glowing reviews, whereas like positive reviews of DC movies are suppressed. And that's why, you know, the tomato scores are so low. And, you know, the filmmakers are saying because like the scores are so low, nobody is going to see the movies. I personally think that that's all hogwash. I mean, nobody goes to those DC movies because they're terrible. But um, but I I uh, found something very interesting, and I have to uh, uh, thank the Movie Mayhem podcast uh, at Movie Mayhem Pod on Twitter. Um, they they took a screen grab from Rotten Tomatoes and tweeted, "People, you funny. Get this. Okay, so." The uh, tomato meter for Star Wars The Last Jedi is 93%, which, you know, um, I... I, I, I don't know what to make of that. Um, that seem that does seem a bit high, especially given some of the uh, casual conversations I've had with uh, my friends that have tried desperately to not spoil it for me. Um, but on the flip side of it, now, you know the deal with Rotten Tomatoes, right? It's like there's a critic score and an audience score. 
The tomato meter for Star Wars The Last Jedi is 93%. The audience score is 57%. So what I think the score is telling me is that critics really like it, but audiences don't. Who are these audiences? Are they fans? Are they civilians? Who could know? Who are these critics? Are they paid Disney stooges? Who could know? But by contrast, get this. This is what makes this so damn fascinating. Justice League, the tomato meter is 40%, which seems generous. Um, But the audience score is 79%, which for my perspective is is bonkers that that's just that's just straight up goddamn ridiculous but what this is telling me is that this is like a tale of two movies uh it's like the scores are completely flipped around you know um critics did not like justice league but audiences seem to like it i mean 79% that's that's a lot that doesn't really mesh with the popular consensus that that I've been kind of exposed to. I mean, I mean, there are people out there that defend it and like it, and there are others that reluctantly like it, but that seems high. But I don't know. So I, I don't know what to make of that. I, uh, I, I have said before, with uh, regards to Rotten Tomatoes, that regardless of what conspiracy you may or may not subscribe to. I mean, obviously there were those allegations of uh, uh, Rotten Tomatoes holding back the Justice League score so as to not, you know, impact the the uh, show's opening box office. Didn't really help. Um as well as other, you know, I mean, the stuff I've already talked about, you know, the 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 uh, paid critics to pad scores and things like that. My point being is, while I don't necessarily put all of the stock in these tomato scores, I've always felt that the conspiracy theories don't disprove popular consensus because I always I always referred back to. um uh, Batman v Superman colon Dawn of the Rise of the R-rated unnecessarily um, unrated ultimate cut uh, Justice Carnival. Um, and that score, what I felt was proportionate, regardless of what people were saying. I'm like, well, but it's a terrible movie. That score matches what the popular consensus is. Likewise, when like Captain America, the Winter Soldier came out and got like a 90 percent, I'm like, that checks out. That's a damn good movie. And and it's one of those movies that kind of transcends. I mean, like, you know, Thor Ragnarok, same thing. I want to say that that's I don't have it in front of me, but it's like, you know, high 80s, low 90s. That's a good, fun movie that I could see why critics would enjoy and audiences do as well. It's a good movie. Justice League is not. But what I don't know is what to make of this score regarding Star Wars The Last Jedi. That's I'm confounded. So uh, it'll be interesting to see what happens when I get together in the uh, KGRG studio next week to talk to uh, Killing Spree, um, who, as of this recording, has seen the movie. So I'll be I'll be very interested to see what he thinks and uh, and what we talk about um, on that. But if you have any ideas or want to weigh in about Rotten Tomatoes, uh, uh, you know where to hit me up at Mike Cybert Radio on Twitter and Instagram and uh, Mike Cybert Radio at Gmail dot com.
And the last thing I wanted to talk about in uh, this uh, geek culture news segment was uh, something I've been meaning to to uh, get to for a while. Um, is this this idea of Quentin Tarantino directing a Star Trek movie? And I'm glad I kind of waited on this uh, because I I think my opinions have changed from when um, uh, when first news broke um you know as as we've heard uh quentin tarantino you know a uh, visionary director of uh pulp fiction the kill bill movies hateful eight uh, uh so on and so forth uh expressed interest in directing a star trek movie and that that star trek movie would be rated r and immediately my hackles went up because I, uh, from what I understand, this uh, uh, the new show, Star Trek Discovery, kind of uh, steers into a slightly mature audience's territory. Um, apparently, um, a character says fuck at some point, which I don't think I need in my Star Trek, but whatever. I So I don't think, I didn't think it was going to be um, a logical fit. Um, and in fact, I, I tweeted something to the effect of like, oh, look, more people that say they want to do Star Trek, but don't actually want to do Star Trek or something to that effect, which um, I got a response from my buddy, Chris Kim, the Green Korean. Um, he uh, he indicated, I'll give Tarantino a shot considering uh, McFarlane gave us good Trek. Um, obviously uh, referring to Seth McFarlane's Fox TV show, The Orville, which I really, really like. And I have said before that that show is the best Star Trek on TV. And I've... Uh, um, I think it was Mark Bernardin on uh, the Fat Man on Batman uh, podcast with Kevin Smith. I think he said uh, when they were talking about the Oroville, he's like, I liked it better when it was called Star Trek The Next Generation. And I I understand that perspective uh, to a certain extent. But be, being a lifetime uh, Trek fan myself, what I like about the Oroville is that it's... Um, it modernizes the conventions of Trek, and and it just gets it. So, like, like for example, uh, 25 years ago, Star Trek The Next Generation wouldn't be able to do an episode on a society that is run strictly on up uh, upvotes and downvotes and people's lives being uh, influenced by that. Because um, that, that's a relatively... A modern convention, and I think that's what the Orville does pretty deftly. Is it? It again, you know, the best Star Trek stories are parables. That you know, you can. It's it's a reflection of what's going on in society, and you know, through the lens of science fiction. I mean, really, I mean that that's that's what science fiction, good science fiction, is supposed to be. Aside from the you know jetpacks and ray guns and robots and and all of that other stuff, and I think the Orville gets it. Uh, sometimes it's not funny enough. Sometimes it's not serious enough. I think it does kind of have some jangly uh, tone issues. I don't think it knows exactly what kind of show it wants to be. But that doesn't make it not good Trek. Whereas you look at something like, say, Star Trek Discovery... I haven't watched a single episode because I'm not going to pay a separate subscription and download a fucking app um, just to watch one TV show. Um, but 
I don't know. I just uh, they recently had their season finale, The Orville. I thought it was really satisfying. They they they've done some really cool stuff. And yeah, like Mark Bernardin said, you know, a lot of it that was done on Next Generation uh, and and some of the other series as well, going all the way back to the beginning. But back to this Tarantino thing, I didn't realize until I started doing um, a little more research and listening to uh, other people talk about it. I didn't realize that Tarantino is actually a huge Star Trek fan himself. And you go back to like some of his early script work, like uh, like he he did uh, uh, some punch-up writing on Crimson Tide and threw in a bunch of uh, uh, Star Trek references in there. And that's and that that's one of the coolest things about that movie where where Denzel Washington talks to the engineer and says, Well you're Scotty, I need I need warp speed. And and there's enough of those references, like even in like True Romance there's the, you know a lot of trek references peppered in there and it wasn't until it was pointed out to me that i realized oh well maybe he gets it after all and so i don't know maybe if he does it right because i mean i enjoy quentin tarantino as a filmmaker i like his stuff you know maybe maybe if he kicked around in the star trek universe um that wouldn't be so bad and <laughs> Uh, a postscript on that, I, I'm sure you've seen this as well, but like uh, Patrick Stewart has said that if Quentin Tarantino does a Star Trek movie, he would like to be involved. So I don't know if that means he comes back as Captain Picard. I mean, maybe maybe you do Old Man Logan with uh, with the Next Generation cast. I mean, because, wow, oh, oh, hey. Yeah, here's what you do, because the Next Generation cast got screwed out of a really good last movie. Like, uh, the original crew, they got Star Trek VI The Undiscovered Country, um, a really good movie, um, and and a, and a, a very decent send-off for the original crew, uh, Kirk and Spock and, and all the others, whereas the Next Generation crew, they got... They got Star Trek Nemesis, where you've got young tar- Tom Hardy running around as as a, a bald Picard clone. It's not a great movie. Um, so so they got screwed out of a good send off. What if this Quentin Tarantino movie, you know, you pick up with the next generation crew 25 years later and you give them one last ride Tarantino style? That's something I think I could get behind. And uh, uh, speaking of Paramount and some of the uh, properties and movies that they'll be revisiting, uh, this is a, another article that I found on Newsarama. Uh, Live-action Micronauts and Dungeons & Dragons movie get release dates. So not only are these movies in development, but apparently they've got release dates and are going to happen. Uh, the release dates for live-action Micronauts and Dungeons and & Dragons films, a third G.I. Joe film, and an untitled Hasbro film have been set by Paramount Pictures, according to Deadline. The third G.I. Joe film is set for a March 27, 2020 release date, followed later in the year by its Hasbro sister title, Micronauts, on October 16, 2020. The Hasbro-verse branches out even further 
further with an unspecified release date reservation for October 21st, 2021. Alongside G.I. Joe, Transformers, and Micronauts, Paramount previously announced plans for a live-action ROM and Visionary films. In addition to those three, a live-action reboot of the Dungeons & Dragons franchise is set for a July 23rd, 2021 release date. How about that? And so it's interesting, and I I don't remember if I had heard this or not and just forgot about it, but basically what Paramount is hoping to do is, you know, because everybody wants a cinematic universe now, and apparently nobody learned the lessons of uh, Universal and their uh, uh, doomed dark universe concept. I mean, I mean, really, that, that Mummy movie was garbage, and if that's, you know, if you're building your uh universe on the shoulders of uh uh the mummy with tom cruise you got problems you got the same kind of problems that you're building on the shoulders of man of steel but i i don't want to get i don't want to get lost in the weeds here anyway the the deal is um i don't know how excited people are going to be for a hasbro extended cinematic universe um because i mean uh, with those two G.I. Joe movies, I think there is one good movie between the two of them if you smash them together. I actually kind of like that second one. Um, but don't, you know, don't even get me started on those Transformer movies. Um, you know, first one is kind of okay. And and the less said about that, the better. But who who's clamoring for Micronauts? Who who's clamoring for uh, Rom? Well, actually, you know what? A lot of uh, a lot of folks are clamoring for uh, Rom or Rom Space Knight, um, which I think that's a Marvel thing. I don't think that'll ever happen. But anyway, or, or Visionaries. You know, these are things that like, you know, I you're probably listening to me saying like, Mike, what what the actual hell are you talking about? What the, what the hell is a Micronaut? Who's ROM? What What's Visionaries? And so taking off all of these old properties and dusting them off, I mean, that's okay for some certain nostalgias, but I don't know if you can build a universe out of that. Um, I have no nostalgia for Micronauts or, or ROM, um, but I know people that do. And Visionaries, that was kind of in the same time as like G.I. Joe and Transformers. I mean, I mean, you may as well uh, throw cops in there, you know, with the, the figures with the, the Capcom, uh, uh, cap gun uh, uh, weapons that they came with. I mean, what are we even doing? And and I don't even know how to address the, uh, the, the perspective of a live action Dungeons and Dragons. I mean, does that tie? into this Hasbro universe? Uh, I don't know. I don't care. Um, but but I the idea of putting Transformers in G.I. Joe together would be kind of cool. Um, or at least on a on a movie screen. I you do one movie, Transformers versus G.I. Joe, sure, whatever, that's fine. And I, I think the reason why I'm so keyed up about this is because this this type of storytelling is something that's going on now currently in uh, IDW's uh, Hasbro Comics line, which started with Transformers and then spread to G.I. Joe. And then they they got the licenses for uh, Micronauts and ROM. I still think a ROM comic that doesn't say ROM Space Knight looks kind of weird, but that's just me. But also in that, and I don't 
don't see it in this article is a mask. Uh, you know, the the uh, uh, mobile armored strike command with a K for some reason. Um, and basically what what they've done in the IDW comics is made this interconnected Hasbro verse. And I I used to be a huge fan of IDW's Transformers comics, but once Mask started showing up and and Rom and and now like uh, I I just read some solicits for like Visionaries are going to show up in Transformers comics. I I dropped them. I I, I can't do it. I can't do it um, because I, I can't invest in a whole freaking universe that I don't care about and I don't have enough nostalgia to really carry me through. Um, and really, I dropped G.I. Joe because I just um, uh, the storyline just lost me. And now it's so intertwined that it reads like contemporary Marvel and DC books. And I just I just want no part of it. And I just I just wonder if the the movies are going to suffer the same fate. Um, but with that, I um, um, it reminds me of conversations I had with uh, comic book illustrator and creator Blackie Shepard, uh, a huge friend of the show. Um, he uh, he has a. Um, uh, pitch a proposal out to uh, Marvel Comics involving uh, the the Micronauts characters, the ones that Hasbro doesn't own, uh, the Marvel ones. Um, he's also talked about really uh, wanting to do something with uh, obviously Rom, because I mean, every creator of that generation, whether it be Blackie or Brandon Jurwa or uh, a handful of others, um, really want to do Rom. I, I still don't get it. I, I think it's like an age gap thing anyway um but but blackie really wanted to do something with mask so i i may have to reach out to him to kind of get his take on this um uh because yeah i i'm really curious i don't know who this is for because the transformers movies and the gi joe movies i get because that's kind of for me a guy that's in his mid to late 30s and is kind of in that prime demo but if you're going to Micronauts, then you're going further back and maybe reaching outside of that prime demo. And I'm not sure if that's if that's tactically advantageous. Um, maybe that makes me an ass for saying that. Maybe just because I don't want something doesn't necessarily mean there's a demand for it. And hey, if you if you want to flame me for uh, for shaming Micronauts and Visionaries, uh, um, let me know. But yeah, this this kind of baffles me. And I mean, who knows? I if you take like maybe like a a, a Guardians of the Galaxy type approach to things, I I guess I could I could see that being cool. Do something different with it. But yeah, I I don't know. I I'm I'm puzzled. <laughs> So like I mentioned uh, a little bit ago, uh, next week uh, we will be recording from the KGRG studios at uh, Green River College in Auburn, Washington, uh, with a special guest co-host, uh, Killing Spree, uh, at Late Night Death. And uh, and we're uh, uh, we're going to be talking about Star Wars and uh, Fox-Disney merger and, and a couple other things. But I also wanted to let you know that, that both he and I 
um, are graduates of the broadcast journalism program at Green River College and the uh, radio stations uh, KGRG. And um, I wanted to let you know that registration for winter quarter has started and classes start on January 3rd. So if... um, if you have ever wanted to try to be on the radio or learn how to do podcasting and you kind of live in the uh, greater Western Washington area, I would definitely encourage you to check out this program. Everything that I've learned, I I learned uh, being part of KGRG. And I, I've talked about this a lot before, so I'm, I'm not going to dwell on it too terribly much. But the thing that makes KGRG and the broadcast journalism program at Green River College so special is that it combines classroom learning with on-hand experience. You take what you learn in the class and then you put it hands-on live on the air. Um, It's a lab class and our lab just happens to be a living, breathing radio station. Um, And it's it's one of the coolest things I've done and it has um, altered the trajectory of my life and career um, which which I've talked about a lot but I just wanted to let you know that um, again, registration for winter quarter has started. Classes are filling up fast. Classes start on January 3rd, uh, so don't miss your opportunity. Otherwise, you'll have to wait until spring. Uh, if you want to, if you want more information, head over to greenriver.edu or kgrg.com forward slash classes, or just go to kgrg.com. There's a, a, a registration information right there on the front page. And I thought as... Um, as we go into our next break, I'd like to play for you some of the uh, promo clips for some of the uh, student-produced and student-ran specialty programs that we run on uh, KGRG-FM, because that that's the other cool thing about it. It's um, uh, Not only is it radio for the kids, by the kids, but it is a 100% student-ran, student-managed, student-staffed uh, college radio station. We have one faculty advisor. You know, uh, um, Tom Evans Krause, our our leader, general manager, and teaches uh, a a portion of the classes. Um, But outside of that, it's, you know, the entire programming staff, the entire DJ staff all students of of which I was very proud to say that I was a part of as well as my good buddy killing spree. So uh, when we when we do those recordings uh at the KGRG studio, it is kind of a uh, homecoming of sorts for us, um, and and yeah, just I I, I want to make sure that if we're continuing to use their uh, studios, that I want to make sure and give them a shout out. And um, I, I I speak for Spree also when I say we we don't forget where we come from, and um, it's a potentially life changing experience. So again, GreenRiver.edu or KGRG dot uh, com. At The Monday Project, we are known for experimenting, and we think we found the secret formula to great radio. Ravioli, ravioli, give me the formuoli. With a little bit of talk, a little bit of music, and a lot of fun, we really hope you'll enjoy our show. We'll also be having 30-minute mini-mixes and entertaining games. Check out The New Monday Project on Mondays from 7 to 10 p.m. here on KGRG 89.9 FM, or tune in using the KGRG app. Marcel, where are you going with that disc? You are not putting that on again. Marcel, okay, if you press that button, you are in very, very big trouble. 
If you get it, then you get it. To hear indie rock, emo, and post-punk, listen to Uncommon Chords every Thursday night from 7 to 10. Hey, Stardog the Red here, and I'm hosting a new local music show called Puget Rock here on KGRG-FM with T2. Hello! It's every Wednesday from 3 to 7 p.m. here on KGRG-FM, where you can hear music from local bands playing every weekend near you. And be sure to check out Puget Rock on Facebook, follow us on Twitter and Instagram, and be sure to check out previous episodes and our concert calendar at PugetRock.com. KGRG's show, The Mixtape, used to just play classic alternative rock, but there's way more great rock out there than just that. From now on, The Mixtape will be playing rock music through every era of the last several decades up until now, including all of its subgenres like punk, new wave, and of course, alternative. So don't go away. Tune into The Mixtape Tuesdays, 4 to 7 p.m. for more fun and more rock and roll. And finally, here's another case of internet memes Coming to life. Yo. It's Paul Spaghetti. Knees weak, arms spaghetti. His vomit on his sweater spaghetti. Mom spaghetti. He's nervous, but on the surface he looks calm spaghetti. He drop bombs, but he keeps on spaghetti. What he wrote down, the whole crowd goes spaghetti. He opens his mouth, but spaghetti won't come out. He's choking how? Everybody's choking now. Spaghetti's run out. Time's up. Over. Loud. Snap back to spaghetti. Oh, there goes spaghetti. Oh, there goes spaghetti. Eminem has a mom spaghetti pop-up restaurant and fans can't deal. In uh, in celebration of his new album Revival, Eminem is operating a pop-up store in Detroit called Mom Spaghetti, a reference to the meme created after his song Lose Yourself. Uh, fans are delighted that the rapper literally owned the meme, and I thought that was really cool. Like like on the menu here, it says Mom Spaghetti. Mom Spaghetti, $5. You can get Mom Spaghetti with meatballs for $8. Spaghetti Sandwich, $5. And Poppin' Water for $3. Uh, no information on the cost of a sweater and cleanup for a vomit of Mom Spaghetti. <laughs> oh, man, that, 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 that just... It, it, it's so dumb because I, I last year I, I stumbled across the the mom spaghetti meme and I just I, I couldn't <laughs> I just couldn't deal again my my time with the college kids has changed me. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and another reminder I um, I wanted to put out of there before I get out of here. Uh, there is a new live music video uh, from my buddies Flicker and Fade for their new single Casualty. Uh, that um, that video is available on YouTube as well as on their uh, their website FlickerandFade.com. It's a uh, it's pretty cool because like as I was watching the video, I'm like, hey, I was there when they filmed that, um, and it's. 
it's pretty neat. They did a really good job of uh, making the video, and and the song is really really great. So um, again, the video for Casualty, the live music video, includes live footage of their recent single Casualty off of their upcoming EP entitled Between the Tides. And as soon as I get uh, more information and release info um, about that, as well as uh, um, upcoming songs. Off of that, you know I'm going to be amongst the first to share it because uh, uh, Flicker and Fade are my homies, and uh, I, I'm always going to be a champion for the stuff that they're doing. And uh, and and speaking of my homies, I also want to remind you that uh, Strangely All Right is going to be playing a show this Saturday, December 23rd, um, at the Swiss in Tacoma. Um, it's it's going to be a holiday theme show, um, including their uh, their Christmas single "I Believe in Christmas," which I played on last week's podcast. And if you go further back in my interview with uh, with Regan and the crew from Strangely All Right, we talk about the Swiss quite a bit and and their awesomely delicious sandwiches so i would uh i definitely encourage you to uh check out that show uh, you can get more information at their website strangelyallright.com uh you won't want to miss it it's gonna be a whole lot of fun hope to see you there And that will do it for this week's episode. I'd like to thank you for listening this week and every week you tune in. I appreciate it. It um it, it means a, it means a lot to me. I uh <laughs> I'm messing this up, but I, I no, I appreciate you listening. Um, if you'd like to check out any of my old shows and podcasts, including my college radio stuff, you can listen and subscribe on SoundCloud, Google Play Music, the Stitcher Radio app, and on Apple Podcasts. Like, share, rate, and review the show wherever you find it. I'd appreciate the feedback, and I will read your reviews on the air. You can find me online at Mike Seibert Radio on Twitter and Instagram. And if you're an independent artist like Flick and Fade, Strangely Alright, or Seattle Nerd Rockers Kirby Crackle, and you would like to share your stuff with us, or if you're interested in being a guest on the show, shoot me an email, MikeSybertRadio at gmail.com, or just message me on those uh, platforms I was just talking about. Next week, it's a goddamn Christmas miracle, Christmas with Killing Spree, um, a special Christmas episode where we are going to try to unpack Star Wars, the Last Jedi. My name is Mike, and this has been Mike Cybert Radio. And until next time, make good choices. 